We all know dental school is hard, but being a dentist in the real world is even harder. And what about all those things they don't teach you in dental school, like how to talk to patients and when to buy a practice? New Dentist Boost Camp is here to help you. Easily download and watch 12 hours of valuable CE, giving you tools you will want to implement immediately to help with your day-to-day in the office and lessons that will help you through your entire dental career. Learn from Dr. Paul Goodman and top dental professionals. Gain confidence in crown preps, class two composites, root canals, and implants. Increase patient acceptance. Effectively communicate to your patients and your dental team. This beneficial course is $9.95, but because Dental Nachos loves to see happy dentists succeeding, they are offering new dentist boost camp to dental students for $3.95. Visit dentalnachos.com slash NDBC for more information and to purchase your discounted download of new dentist boost camp. Watch it and rewatch it anytime. This will be an impactful reference tool that you can continue to learn from and use. Buy it today to help you find a good job Start paying your student loans back faster and feel great about dentisting. That's what it's all about. Welcome to the Dental Amigos podcast with Dr. Paul Goodman and attorney Rob Montgomery, taking you behind the scenes of the dental business world, all the things you didn't learn in dental school but wish you had. Rob is not a dentist and Paul is not a lawyer, but since Rob is a lawyer, we need to tell you that this podcast is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be considered legal advice. Listening to this podcast does not and will not create an attorney-client relationship. As is always the case, you should formally consult with legal counsel before proceeding with any legal matter. Learn more about The Dental Amigos at www.thedentalamigos.com. And now, here are The Dental Amigos. Hello, everyone. I'm Rob Montgomery, and I'm joined, as always, by the head nacho himself, Dr. Paul Goodman. Great to be here, Rob. Paul, it's always good to see you. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The Dental Amigos. And today, uh, we are joined by comedian Frank King. Uh, He was a suicide prevention and postvention public speaker and trainer. Uh, Frank was a writer for The Tonight Show for 20 years, Paul. Wow. Really pretty cool. awesome. Real deal. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so this is kind of part of our ongoing from time to time uh, mindfulness, mental health, well-being. Yeah, theme. super important. Yeah. So we have uh, we have a real professional here today. Not that we're not professionals, yeah, yeah. Paul, but... We're playing uh, ones on TV, but we're not even on TV. <laughs> professional, yeah, we're playing on a podcast, right? <laughs> Sitting in the conference room. Uh, but depression and seriousness and, and suicide run in uh, in Frank's family. He's, Frank has thought about killing himself more times than he can count. He has fought a lifetime battle with major depressive disorder and chronic suicidality. Turning that long, dark journey of the soul into five TEDx talks and sharing his life-saving insights on mental health awareness with associations, corporations, and colleges. Frank is a motivational public speaker, uses his life lessons to start the conversation, giving people permission to give voice to their feelings and experiences surrounding depression and suicide, and doing it by coming out, as it were, and standing in his truth, and doing it with humor, which is not an easy thing to do, Paul. Yeah, not easy. And Frank King believes that where there is humor, there is hope. Where there is laughter, there is life. Nobody dies laughing. The right person at the right time with the right information can save a life. And now, without further ado, here's Frank King. Welcome, amigo, and thanks for being on the show. 
Paisanos, hermanos, hola, ¿qué tal? Bienvenidos. Yeah, I, I study Spanish every day because I, when I work on the cruise ships, I often go to Central and South America, plus there's 3.8 million uh, Spanish speakers in the U.S., and I want to go to the fiesta, so that was why I was trying to have my rather crude Spanish with you guys. It's cool. Well, it, it passed for us. Yeah, Frank. yeah, it's good for us. It's good for, good for the amigos. <laughs> Thanks for being here, Frank. And um, I was actually out in uh, Oregon speaking to a group of awesome ASDA students not too long ago, and they uh, had honored me with a, no- a nacho bar when I arrived. So if we were out with in, in Oregon, uh, where would we go for nachos, and uh, what's your favorite topping? Oh, if we were to go for nachos? Yeah, together. Uh, I would go to... Yeah, Chipotle. I'm a big fan of Chipotle because, you know, after the uh, whole um, was it salmonella scare, the lines are a lot shorter. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. Uh, and what was the second question? You find out who your true fans are when that happens. Uh, what's your favorite that nacho? I'd like to know uh, uh, hard-hitting stuff like what's your favorite nacho topping? Well, you know, it would have to be uh, cheese because I'm on, a, I'm on a keto diet. I don't know if I put this in my, my bio, but I'm an aspiring Masters bodybuilder. I did my first contest in October, took third in Masters over 40. Yeah. So I guess cheese would be the, that's the nice thing about the keto diet, cheese, sour cream, you know, heavy cream, heavy whipping cream, <laughs> butter. Can you have the chips uh, or is the chips off off limits? Chips are off limits. Yeah. limits man. I haven't had any carbs in a year and two months. Wow. So, so just a just a bucket of cheese. Well, a bucket of cheese. It's interesting. Yeah, Nachos, but I'll take it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it had to be pump cheese. That way, I could just lie down underneath, and you could you could operate the pump. Pump right. Anyone can arrange for that. Well, here in Philadelphia, <laughs> Cheese Whiz is a food group, uh, Frank. Yeah. So, um, you know, that would be your kind of place. I mean, uh, you, you can kind of get the cheesesteak without without the bread. Yes, exactly. And uh, I think whoever invented cheese with, there should be Nobel Prizes for little things like like aerosol yeah. cheese. It would be top of my list. You'll fit them perfectly when you come here. They'll, 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 they'll love that. Hey, so Frank, tell us, uh, how, did, uh, how did you get into comedy? I started in San Diego at the Comedy Store on Pearl in La Jolla, which, by the way, is still there. I'm guessing there's probably still some people there that uh, I didn't open mic night with. They're still you know, at the failure to launch. Uh, the improv opened up across town in Pacific Beach, and we had a contest, funniest person in San Diego. I won. Uh, I think I got a thousand bucks, paid off my back taxes, and then <laughs> I booked myself ten weeks on the road, uh, starting day after Christmas, which I thought was forever. I said to my girlfriend, then now my wife, uh, I'm going on the road to be a stand-up comedian full time. Do you want to come along? And inexplicably, she said yes. So nice. um, we put all our stuff into storage. We couldn't fit into our tiny Dodge Colt. And we were on the road together without a home for 2,629 nights in a row nonstop. Wow. Seven years and change. Yeah. Was that fun? It was amazing. Tell us, was that experience we're gonna have like? Your, we're going to have your wife on the podcast next. I want to I hear about that. Yeah. The other okay, side well, of the story. Yeah. Yeah, other comics ended up liking her much better than me. But um, the it was fun. We were in like late twenties, mid thirties. Uh, worked with Seinfeld, Dennis Miller, Ellen DeGeneres, Paula Poundstone. Uh, you know, Kevin James. It, pretty much anybody who's anybody's got a show or is a big time comedian now. They were just comics back then, and back then Ron White, Foxworthy. Back then they would put us up in what was called the comedy condo, which is a three bedroom condo that the club had. 
cleaning service come in, read cocktail waitresses uh, once a week, and uh, you know, so there'd be fresh sheets in the bed every week. And so we didn't just work with these folks; we lived for a week for my lovely wife. It was kind of kind of like living in a frat house, but she, <laughs> she thoroughly enjoyed it. A lot of funny people around, at least, right? Who was the neatest oh one? God. Was it like Seinfeld? Was he the neatest, neatest one? Like his uh, reputation would uh, lead me to believe. A uh, really nice guy. Uh, I think Foxworthy and I had the most in common because both raised in the South. You know, both Friday nights after a date, hanging outside the Krispy Kreme, waiting for the light to come on. They got hot donuts coming down the conveyor belt. So we had a lot of that sort of stuff in common. I would say he was probably the, you know, he was probably the the, the one I got closest to on the road, um, in that in that on on that trip on that long road trip. If you win that bodybuilding competition, I think you should reward yourself with a, a Krispy Kreme to celebrate. <laughs> so, well, once a year, because I have had heart issues as well, two aortic valve replacements, double bypass, heart attack, and three stents. I uh, once a year I have pizza with crust, uh, triple cheese. Stuffed crust with extra cheese uh, <laughs> once a year, and then uh, slip into a coma for a day or two, and then and always on my birthday. So I figure, well, you know, uh, <laughs> I'm 62, maybe not make 63, but I'm good at it. <laughs> it's a way to go, right? Uh, so, it's, were you? Uh, what time were you uh, writing for the Tonight Show? Was it during that that period, or uh, was it after that, or? No, during that period, started in the, the see, I went on the road in 86 in January. I'd say by 88, Leno was just taking over as a permanent guest host for Johnny. Uh, Johnny Carson was very mercurial. He would tell the staff on a Friday afternoon, hey, I'm taking next week off, which meant that Monday nights was always best of Carson, a rerun. And Jay had four days, Tuesday through Friday. He needed 18 jokes per monologue, so the work would go out to all of us. They called them fax writers at the time. And we would pump in, I would send in 12 to 24 jokes a day during that yeah. period. And I would get on, you know, usually one, sometimes two a week. And then when he took over the show, of course, he had, he had a writing staff, you know, on staff in the guild. Um, but I continued to do it because the, there were several people who had been fax writers who, when time came to hire a new writer, they were plucked from the, you know, the crowd and uh, unfortunately, I never, I never got plucked. Well, <laughs> maybe I didn't get plucked. Um, but the uh, that that was the dream was that you would put, pump in 20, twelve or twenty four jokes a day, prove you could, you know, you could do the work, and then they would hire you full time. You get in the writers guild and so forth and so on. And it's this great experience. Did Jay, did Jay pick the jokes himself, or did his team pick them? I'm just curious. Uh, the team would get together. I imagine a round table as they often do, and throw out the jokes. Jay would decide for the fax writers. The staff would put all the jokes from the fax writers on index cards. Jay would go down to the Hermosa Beach Comedy and Magic Club and just take out the big deck of index cards and just go through them one at a time, one right after another. And, you know, the ones that hit, he would put in his pocket. The ones that didn't, he would throw on the floor. Oh, interesting. I like that. Yeah, he road tested them the night before. That's cool. A neat experience. So Frank, you know, uh, obviously you're uh, you have an unusual niche in the in the comedy world. You know that uh, a lot of what you you do surrounds depression and, and suicide. Uh, I guess my question first would be which which came first? I mean, did you have 
personally mental health issues before you were in comedy or is it something that you know really started to arise after you were in the in the comedy world oh no um you know it runs in my family my grandmother died by suicide my mother found her my great aunt died by suicide my mother and i found her i was four years old i'll spare you the details um so it's depression my sister has anxiety and depression and all my all my relatives. Uh, my family's nuttier than a twenty five pound bag of squirrel food. Um, yeah, it's just we're just wired that way. So I remember my first suicide. I've been depressed, although I didn't know that's what it was in college. And then in my first marriage, um, I did a TED talk. Actually, um, it's called "Suicide: The Secret of My Success." Um, dead man talking. I was. Married to my first wife, high school sweetheart. Her vision for me was to work in the insurance business with her dad. And it's a great business, and she's a wonderful woman. But I was miserable. Um, I was depressed and didn't know that's what it was. Uh, but about the end, near the end of the marriage, I started having my first thoughts. Well, I had my first thought of suicide. I was driving down 163 South in downtown San Diego on a rainy sort of a day at 4 or 5 in the afternoon. Had that first, why don't you just kill yourself? Whoa, where'd that come from? That was the first one, and then I realized, and I talk about this in the TED Talk, that if I stayed married, stayed in the insurance business, and didn't didn't pursue comedy, because that's my my first wife was four square against me going to amateur night, and that's where I thought I belonged. I figured if I didn't get divorced, quit my job, and, and pursue comedy, I was going to kill myself. And then I realized, wait a minute, if that's the outcome, I could divorce my wife, quit the insurance business, try comedy. If it works, great. If it doesn't, hell, I could still kill myself. <laughs> so. Yeah. I would say the uh, suicide suicide got me into comedy, and, I, and I've talked to several people, more than several people since then, entrepreneurs, other entertainers, had the same basic thought process. They're living a life that they don't feel like it's theirs. They feel like they belong somewhere else doing something else. They've got a dream, and they realize you know, that if they stay doing what they're doing, they're going to kill themselves, and that gives you the – that's incredibly empowering because you know nothing more powerful than someone with absolutely nothing to lose. You know, it, it, as long as you've got that exit, you're sitting in the exit row and you, you're right next to the window, you know, you just pop the door and go. So um, that, that, that is the secret of my success. And I, what triggered that TED Talk was I was reading a study about entrepreneurs. One third of entrepreneurs, they say, depending on which study you read, are depressed and having thoughts of suicide. Clinicians believe it's because long hours, little sleep, unmet expectations. I believe, and maybe the good doctor can can weigh, weigh in on this. I believe that in a lot of cases that's probably true. But I think given my experience and my anecdotal experience with other people who have similar thought process processes, um, I believe a slice of those people are not depressed and suicidal because they are entrepreneurs. I believe they are, in fact, entrepreneurs because they were depressed and suicidal. So Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I was reading it's some stuff that you didn't watch, watched a lot of... Uh, clips and, and some of the TED Talks, too, but why, why do you see that, Frank? Why, what's your, your theory as to that connection? Well, it's, uh, this, it's the same. They have the same thought process I did. You know, you, um, you have an idea for uh, software. You want to, do a, you want to you know, uh, create a software startup company, and, but you're married to somebody or, you're, or even, even you're single, and you're working at a straight job you know, that you don't like, and you just get that feeling that, look, if you are if, if you don't do something, if you don't move, if you don't jump, if you don't get out of this life that you don't think you belong in and get into the life you think you do belong in, you're going to kill yourself. I think that's what happened, I believe, with Anthony Bourdain and Kate Spade. 
Anthony Bourdain was going to Vassar, a great college. I don't know what his major was, but I'm sure it was a good one. Uh, but he had loved restaurants since his family had taken him to Paris, and when he was eight years old, he fell in love with food. So during high school, he worked at a couple of restaurants. Uh, now, granted, one of the reasons he worked at restaurants was because the um, kitchen staff and the, and the, and the uh, bus boys would do uh, drug runs for him. But um, he really loved the restaurant. He, he had a job washing dishes in a restaurant, he said, was one of his favorite jobs. He just loved restaurants. So he goes to college, and by the way, while in college, he's working at two different restaurants. I, I suspect he came to the point in his life where he said, a great college, this is a great school. I've got a great major. I bet if I graduate, I'll get a great job in whatever field he was studying. But thought to himself, as I did, wait a minute, this is just not where I belong. This is not my dream. Um, you know, I, if I, if, maybe if I continue doing this, I'm going to kill myself. I get, I'm guessing there's underlying mental illness and thoughts of depression. And so he, maybe he had the same epiphany I did. Well, I could quit school. I could go where I believe I should be going, which is the Culinary Arts Institute or whatever. If it works out great, if it doesn't, hell, I can still kill myself. And Kate Spade was the editor of the accessory, accessory department in the Mademoiselle magazine. I mean, a big time job. But I, I'm betting she thought to herself, well, I'm not supposed to be reviewing other people's fashions. I'm supposed to have a line of my own fashions. And if I don't get out of here, you know, this job, I, I may kill myself. Again, the same epiphany. Well, what have I got to lose? I quit Mademoiselle. I'll start my own fashion line. It works great. If it doesn't, hell, I can still kill myself. Now, unfortunately, both did. And I get that question from, from a neurotypical or neuronormal people all the time. Why would someone like those two, with that much to live for, want to die? Answer number one, chances are, from my experience, they did not want to die. They wanted to end the pain. And two, I don't think normal people, neuronormal, neurotypical people, understand the um, what it takes to get out of bed every morning with a mental illness. I, I did a metaphor in that talk where I said there's a Greek character called Sisyphus. His penalty for doing something to offend the gods, and oh, he slept with Zeus's girlfriend or something. They made him push a rock up a hill every day, and about the time it would get to the top, the girl would go back down. So having a mental illness, in my mind, is is like you wake up every morning, there's a rock and a hill. Some days the rock is small, and the hill is not so steep. Some days the rock is a boulder, and the hill is Everest. And I said to the audience, I think that Case Spade and Anthony Bourdain came to the same point I did where they woke up one morning and they just couldn't move the rock and they they were done thank, thanks for sharing that Frank and I just have a question or as I was thinking about that as you were talking about it uh, just came to mind you know they both had achieved what they had wanted right so I, I totally understand the the notion that that doesn't mean you're not depressed because you got what you wanted but it's almost like you know they kept up with the 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 hard part of the journey for such a long time and building to that and then they kind of had reached you know pinnacle of what they were doing uh and it's like there's was no i don't want to say there's nothing left for them to do to contribute because they were still doing their craft but is that would is that type of something that like you know for a highly functioning person or entrepreneur and now we're going to talk about dentists who are working so hard each day that moving of the rock, you just think that that they don't feel like doing it on that day, and that's the that's the end for you know people in that those scenarios. 
Yes, because uh, I believe their their depression and thoughts of suicide are are like mine. They're not situational. I've been most depressed and most suicidal when some, in some of the best times in my life. I was worried. What if I felt this way and the world had gone to hell in a handbasket? What you did when we declared bankruptcy and and uh, you know I can tell you what the barrel of my gun tastes like. Uh, by the way, that line right there, I do it in my keynote. And the next thing I say to the audience is, you know, I, I said I, I could I could tell you what the barrel of my gun tastes like. I say to the audience, spoiler alert, didn't pull the trigger. Um, yeah, well, and my friend, Glenn Friesman from Philadelphia, happened to be in the audience, he heard me say that, comes up afterwards and said, hey, man, how come you didn't pull the trigger? I go, hey, man, could you try to sound a little less disappointed? <laughs> and and as, we yeah, shift, as we shift a little bit, Frank, because this is really, you know, I appreciate you sharing all of this. Like, now that you're you know, involved with dentists to some degree, or at least I know you know some of the same people I do who work with dentists. Uh, are we, dentists, the number one risk of, of suicide, like they kind of told us when we were in dental school, or was that is that a myth? Or uh, Well, when I speak to dental groups, here's what I say. I've got good news and I've got bad news. The good news is, Dentists are not the number one at-risk occupation for depression, thoughts, and suicide. The bad news is they're generally number five or six in the top ten with a bullet. Thank you. (laughs) Knowing Um, dentists, they're probably angry they're not number one at something. So, you know, it's like our... Lawyers have to be contending, though, I have to imagine. We're we're, we're catching up, Paul. Yeah, but it's... uh, Actually, lawyers aren't even in the top 20. Yeah. I have have no idea why. Yeah, Uh, that's... The first four... I, I think that's probably going to change over over time. There's there's the 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 sea unfortunately is changing in our profession that it just uh, the the societal de- demands now that are on on lawyers and expectations are have uh, you know, I think I see a lot more depressed lawyers than I did when I started practicing law 25 years ago. It's a different it's a totally different world than than it was back then. Oh okay. And and tell well, us. By the way, the um. The top ten goes um, construction, mining, excavation, um, construction, mining, uh, fishing, farming, forestry. Dentists and veterinarians are usually five or six back and forth because they have they have a number of things in common. They both come out of you know the professional school with I think the average dentist comes out with three hundred and fifty seven thousand dollars in student loan debt. And then you layer on top of that cost between three hundred fifty five hundred fifty thousand dollars to start a practice if you're going to practice on your own, and even if the practice is successful, you know with additional patients comes additional expenses. And here's the here's the here's what happens uh, the, at the core of all this is stress. The number one killer of dentists is not suicide. It's it's stress induced or exacerbated illnesses like heart disease, high blood pressure, depression, thoughts of suicide. So if you have this nut, this you know, this payment you've got to make every month, you begin to do things like come in early, uh, which means you're not going to the gym, skip lunch, which means you're not you know, doing that sort of half an hour decompress with a sandwich and a good book. You're working late, so you're not, you're not going to the gym, and you may not be taking care of things you need to be taken care of at home in a family fashion. So it's that... Sort of, so it's all it's, it's financial stress, physical stress, mental stress, and, and a lot of dentists are solo entrepreneurs. So there's nobody in the office really at your at the C level. 
that you can, that's, you know, you got a staff, but they're not friends. That's, I was just going to, I was waiting to share that, Frank, and we're on such the same page, and almost all of my uh, lectures, Rob and I do co-lecturing, but, you know, neither of you uh, have the joy of being a dentist, so we could try to arrange for you to do a filling sometime, I promise that to Rob, but, you know, you're, <laughs> you're not um, dentists, and I say to them, interestingly, you know, in dental school, you're surrounded by your peers, and you're in this you know, toxic environment, but you have friends. And then you go out and our podcast is, you know, the things they don't teach you in dental school, but should. And we talk about a lot of things and they, you know, they think, you know, people think, is it about business? But what we're talking about now, it's really about you as a person. And we've, you know, been going on this, you know, as Rob would describe this uh, mindfulness, uh, you know, angle, which has been, been great. And I say all the time, as a dentist, you can be surrounded by people, but still feel very lonely. Um, because just what you said is perfect. It's no one else is a licensed practitioner in your office, and you're the only person yeah. who can do a lot of the things. And that brings on an inordinate amount of stress. And I actually would encourage dentists, and one of the reasons that I think I handle it well-ish myself is because I was a restaurant server for many years, and it's the closest experience to being a dentist, except people want to be in a restaurant and not in, not in a dental office. But it trained my mind to be able to handle four, five, six, seven different requests at the same time. And most dentists have never had that training. And I believe that's what really leads them into this very stressful state. Uh, and even with the training, it can be stressful. But I just think that's just such an important point. Yeah, and you know, it, um, it's, it's like comedy in a way that if all I had to do was to get on a plane comedy or speaking, get on a plane and go and do my thing and come home. If there was somebody who could handle the, making all the travel arrangements and uh, doing all the marketing and doing all the booking. And so if you're a dentist and all you have to do is, you know, you show up in your little outfit, <laughs> put on your safety, uh, and just, you know, uh, like a hired gun come in. Okay. Thanks very much. See you guys tomorrow. Uh, it would probably be a much easier job. But you, you're an entrepreneur, so you know it's accounting, it's HR, it's you know it's, it's all those things that any entrepreneur has to deal with. And the tradition, not the fun parts of it, Rob and I talk about. And also, they just you spend four years in dental school learning these technical skills. Uh, a lot of them are actually just outdated and useless. And we, if they can infuse some of the things you talked about leadership, management, HR, running a business, figuring things out, they would prepare dentists. But it's, you know, I, I, I um, have two small humans that live in my house, a four-year-old and a five-month-old or six-month-old. And uh, I think a lot of it's like my four-year-old where that, you know, these is the time, this is the time to instill certain things in her so she can use for the rest of her life. And I think we have to do that for dental students. Because as you see, and you, when you talk to groups, I mean, what, what's some of the feedback you get from groups from the dentists that you talk to? Well, um, the, the, I, I get pushback from dentists about even coming to talk. I did the Seattle Study Club. I did a showcase, first one they ever had at the coordinators conference in July. And the coaches were there, the coordinators were there. The mistake, the mistake I made, the tactical error I made was to ask who makes the booking decision. Because the coaches can recommend, the coordinators can sign on, but the dentist makes the call. So bear in mind, all the things that a dentist has to do in a day's time. Now you got a guy coming in who's saying, look, you need to begin to pay attention to not only your mental health, but that of your staff and your patients. And 
um, there's a push in dentistry, and you guys can tell me if I'm correct about this, to make the dentist, not just a dentist, but a non-physician primary care provider. So I come in and I say, look, you need to ask your patients the two gateway questions on the nine-question sort of mental health questionnaire. You know, have, have, have you felt hopeless in the last two weeks is one of the questions. And then I can't remember what the second one is. But if one of those is answered yes, then you're supposed to ask, ask the next seven questions. Well, you know, okay, suppose the, suppose the dentist may not want to know the answer because suppose they say, yes, I'm, I'm depressed, I'm having thoughts of suicide, I have a plan. Um, and I got a garden hose in my car, it's in the tailpipe. Um, the dentist already had a day full before, <laughs> before this. So, and, and, and the dentists are actually pushing back. I think they know there's an issue among dentists with, with depression, thoughts of suicide, but, and obviously the, the, um, the coordinators in the Seattle Study Club know that, but the dentist, I'm getting resistance from the dentist, and it may just be that sort of overload. Look, listen, I... That's just one more thing, you know, added to my day, or um, <laughs> to make me more suicidal. It's counterproductive. You know, so, and we also yeah, we the, they are thrusting a lot, and Rob's aware because you know, just in our own state here, we have to pass. We now have to take op- opioid screening, and we have to take child abuse screening. We have this, and it's just. I think what similar what's happened to doctors is that they, the people who want the dentist to do this need to come in and watch us work and see the time constraints that we have on the technical part of what we do. But, but the idea is a worthwhile one. It just has to be um, uh, uh, implemented in a way that makes sense. Well, it's just generally, it's just well, taking care all, of yourself, period. You yeah. know? And, and a lot of these things that Frank's talking about, it goes beyond, obviously, it's, it's mental health. And, the, and the, the worst manifestation of this is somebody commits suicide. But you know, all these other stress-related uh, ailments and, and, yeah. and health things are, you know, even for somebody who doesn't, uh, if they don't kill themselves, you know, the fact that they could have a stroke or yeah. a heart attack and, you know, 10 other things isn't, isn't good either. And it, you know, it's just, it's about, you know, taking care of yourself and, and, and realizing, especially in that situation, you know, if you're a dentist, you have to, you have to take the time to do that. And it's hard for professionals to carve out that time in the day. It's but also one of the things that we battle, not, not battle, we, we, we playfully battle back and forth about our, our jobs. But I, I'm their favorite uh, client who shows up in the office here, Frank, uh, because I'm the only client that comes to the office because they do their work on clients mainly, you know, through email, phone calls, different ways like that. Dennis, we're, we are face to face with our, our clients all the time. And, you know, as you were talking and Rob was talking, I think one of the stresses that Dennis feel, and I know I feel, my brother feels, is that you know we're responsible for the whole team surviving too, right? So, you know, uh, if you said, "Hey, I want to take four days off from your dental practice, and I want to, you know, treat myself well," and I'm just going to use the example, go to a place for a relaxation spa or something, Dennis would say, "Oh my gosh, then my staff can't work, my hygienist can't work." So what we've got ourselves set up with is just a challenging economic model and one of the things i talk about on dental nachos is dentists to work together more under the same roof uh frank but uh i don't know if you've ever seen the movie the the hunger games or heard of it i i that is a guilty pleasure yes all three so getting into the mental health aspect for dental students i mean i i speak a lot about this dental school sets up the dental student hunger games where they have us compete against each other for requirements and grades so surprise, surprise, when we get out of dental school, no one likes each other, right? 
<laughs> so, wow, I wonder how that happened, right? So they had us, and in Rob's profession, I see here, while it has its own challenges, they bring in summer interns and they get to see what it's like to work at a law firm. So I just think there's... Our place is just such a great place yeah, to work. Yeah, I know it is. Yeah, it's yeah. not typical. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, uh, <laughs> it's great. They always have, you know, sparkling water, whatever you want. So, uh, But what I'm saying is I actually believe, Frank, that... um there's just a lot of pointless rules and laws for dentistry because if a dental student could spend a summer working in a dental office, it would prepare them and let them do fillings, not just observe. So unfortunately, the dental students have left dental, the dentist, you're a dental student one day and a dentist the next day. You have been competing against your peers. No one's taught you about business. No one's taught you how to take care of yourself. And then they say, you know, surprise, surprise, you got to pay back, not surprise, $500,000 in loans. And I just think what we're talking about is so important, and I'm just so passionate about it because I see the challenges all dentists are facing, but especially the newest ones coming out really do have that uphill battle. Well, and veterinarians very much the same, uh, same debt, same, same, you know, sea level, no peers in the office, lots of people, no peers. Um, the they they there's too many veterinarians, so the they're driving the wages down. And the, they also have compassion fatigue, by the way, you know, putting animals down all the time. Some, it's not the ones that are at the end of their lives that get them. It's the one where the family comes in, drops the dog off, we're going on vacation, puts the dog down. Uh, that's, and by the way, not one veterinarian I've ever had puts the dog down. They go, sure, fine, thanks very much, we'll see you. And they rehome the dog. But it's that kind of, so you take the dental model, and you layer on this compassion fatigue and the access to barbiturates, which I guess dentists do as well, but they're not administering them in those doses, like euthanizing animals. So, yeah, it's just and 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 even I, as a solo entrepreneur who knows what I should be doing, it's difficult for me to carve out time every day for my what they call the mental health business. I'm sure you know this self care plan. I have I have to carve out time to work out. My diet is very strict. I meditate twice a day for 30 minutes, but I mean, it, it's a real challenge. I'm constantly behind because of all that. I just, but I have to prioritize it. It's, you know, I don't have a staff though. I don't have a payroll to make. You know, you're a dentist, you got a staff. It's very successful. You got to have more staff and you got a payroll to make and you got an HR problem. You got, you know, you got the hygienist coming in going, my husband's beating the hell out of me. Uh, and, 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 and hygienists wonder why the dentist wants you to leave that front door rather than come in the office yeah. and dump that grenade in their lap. Yeah. So, which, by the way, there's a young woman there who speaks, uh, Jumpstart speaks on um, that element. You know, your staff's problems do not end when they walk in the door of the office. And there was another young woman who speaks on, a hygienist who speaks on, you know, what if the patient says to the hygienist, says to the patient, how are you? I'm suicidal. What now? So, yeah, it's, it's a high pressure environment for pretty much everybody. And, you know, it's, it's a, well, it's, you guys have been in a dental office. It's, it's like a factory. You know, there's these, you know, these bays where everybody's sitting and they're, you know, you're running people through those. And it's all about getting in and getting out. Like, like, like in your restaurant experience, turn in the tables. It's also, it's, I, I've given a course for years called I'm a dentist now. What? And I, one of the things I say to the students is, uh, you have to run a Broadway play every day that nobody wants to see. So, you know, it, when you go see a Broadway play in New York and they're doing it for the 340th time, they knock it out of the park because they knew someone came from Kansas and saved up all their money to 
no offense to Kansas people, but you gave up all their money to come to New York and, uh, you know, see it. But with dentistry, Frank and, and Rob, you know, it's, you're, it's just very draining to be working on people who don't want to be there all the time. Unrelated yeah. to money. And, I mean, uh, unrelated to what you make or earn or do. When you're in the middle of a dentisting battle at 10.32 a.m. on a Thursday morning and you're having stress, your, your bank account, big, small, or, not, or in the middle, it does not help, right? It just is that's your stress level at that time. Yes, and it's, yeah. <laughs> That's, uh, and then somebody comes in and says, I'm suicidal or I'm depressed, or a staff member says, my husband's beating me, I can't go home, or, you know, it's um, yeah. it's enough. To, how come you guys haven't done a Ted Met um, talk on everything you need to know to be a dentist, but they never taught you? Maybe we should. We, yeah, thanks. <laughs> Wait, thanks for the uh, suggestion. The let me know. Yeah. yeah, yeah, let us know. Yeah. I'd like to do that. Hey, Frank, so... Um, yeah, I mean, I... I coach him, so you know. Let me let me not, but I'm getting ready to do my fifth one, so you know I can I can help you through the process of applying and that kind of thing. <laughs> That'd be cool, Paul. Put that on the agenda. Yeah, yeah I will. Uh, hey, so Frank, so shift gears a little bit. You know, how do you spot depression in somebody, and how do you spot you know whether somebody's having thoughts of suicide? Well, the, and this is sort of no exhaustive list of symptoms, but um, eat too much, can't eat, sleep too much, can't sleep uh, are both uh, signs of, of uh, what's called major depressive disorder, not just the blues, but, but uh, and major depressive disorder means lasts three days to two weeks and recurs. Um, lets their personal hygiene go, has trouble, let's say, getting to work on time in the morning, but rallies in the afternoon not taking the joy they used to take in their whatever social activities they were previously involved in, um, and a, a low mood. Uh, you know, it's, 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 I mean, for a long time, or, or recurs. Um, the, with suicide, it's, again, eat too much, can't eat, sleep too much, can't sleep, uh, constantly talking about death or dying, Googling death or dying, if they're doing artwork or writing, it, it, it appears as a theme, in their writing, their artwork, uh, you know, stockpiling the means to die by suicide, whether it's uh, pills or buying a gun and ammunition, um, giving away prized possessions because they want to make sure when they're gone, whoever they want those possessions to go to gets them. Uh, giving away a pet is at the top of that pyramid. If somebody gives away a pet, that's yeah. a really dangerous sign. There's a counterintuitive one, which is they're depressed, 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 and all of a sudden, for no apparent reason, inexplicably happy. Which may mean they've chosen time, place, method, and they know there is an end to the pain. The pain is finite, so they know it's not going to go on forever. So the question comes up, what do you say to somebody you think is depressed? Well, here's what you don't say. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Turn that frown upside down. Have you tried fish oil? Uh... And I've gotten that. Have you tried fish oil? You know my <laughs> uncle. Um, which Doesn't you know, work, right? You do say to somebody, yeah, I, I take it. I'm not sure it works that well. But um, the uh, what you do say is, I'm here for you, and you got to mean it. I know that you're not lazy, crazy, or self-absorbed. I know it's an illness, a mental illness. The good news is with, with time and treatment, things will get better. I'll take the time to help you get treatment. Um, with suicide, oh, and the last question you have to ask if you believe they are seriously depressed are you having thoughts of suicide? There's an old saw that you can't, you shouldn't mention the S word in front of people who are depressed because I love this. It might give me an idea. Yeah, like it never crossed my mind. <laughs> um, 
And if, if they say they're suicidal, then the next question is, do you have a plan? If they say they have a plan, the next question is, what is your plan? If they're depressed, suicidal, have a plan, and it's detailed, you need to get them on the phone with the Suicide Prevention Lifeline, or if they're younger, texting to 741-741. That's a, that's a Suicide Prevention text line. You text the word CONNECT to 741-741. Now, here's the question for you guys. Okay, you're a hygienist recently hired. You, you, you asked the dentist a couple of questions, and you suspect your new employer is not only depressed but suicidal. What is a hygienist to do? Yeah, it's a difficult situation. I mean, anybody that's got a superior or somebody that's a manager, yeah. you know, it's, uh, yeah, you tell us, Frank. Yeah, yeah, Frank, tell us. Yeah, yeah. We, Please. We, we, you, you, Paul and I are looking at each other. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm not sure. We don't have a good yeah. answer. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you got to tell somebody. <laughs> um, I, I would say that um, the, yeah, you know, I, I, I posed the question because I didn't know the answer, guys. It just occurred to me. We know we teach, well, let's say we teach the staff all this stuff. Not only a dentist, but they have, this, they have like a, a, what do you call it, a, a, a day where they get staff together and like a lunch and learn. And we teach all, all the staff this, and the hygienist comes up to me afterwards and goes, look, like, you know, I think my dentist is depressed and suicidal. What am I going to do? Oh, dear God. I don't know. I'm going to call Dr. Paul. I'll be right back. Um, well, maybe, you know, do know. you contact, a, you know, a loved one anonymously and let them know, you know, and because obviously it, it's a difficult thing for somebody who relies on their job. I mean, if you want to be out of work, you could probably confront your boss. But I, I don't know if that's realistic for most people. But, yeah, maybe do you contact a family member and say, I'm concerned about this person for this reason. Yeah, you know what I would do uh, in all seriousness? I would go to the, um, the local chapter of NAMI, National Alliance on Mental Illness. Their whole job business model is they're not really there so much to help the person who is suffering or living with a mental illness. It's for the people who are around them, their loved ones, employees, family, friends. They could probably guide you to um, through that process. How how you how you 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 know how you walk that line without uh, losing your job. Because that's like I said, that's what they do. And by the way, NAMI, National Alliance Mental Illness, uh, everything they do is free, so it won't cost the employee anything. That, that's where I would go. Now, look, my bosses, I think that's, he's depressed and suicidal. What am I going to do? Yeah, thank, I'm sure they have faced that situation before. Thanks for uh, sharing that. Yeah, I'm familiar with that. I, I had, um, we were talking to my uh, coach, close personal friend, speaker coach Carol Kibler, does a lot of work with uh, uh, NAMI and, you know, uh, battles. Um, some same mental health issues and there's a lot of things that destigmatize it to it. I have a quick question for you, uh, Frank. Have you read the book uh, Never Split the Difference by chance? <laughs> yes, I yeah. have. Okay, here's the deal. Yeah. You got three hostages, four hostages. <laughs> he's good. Well, it just he had a big piece on how he was, that's how he was trained at the suicide prevention hotline. And I found that very interesting. The, uh, the yeah. writer, you know, he spent time there. And what he was doing, I just thought was interesting, like his intuitive response to the suicide calls uh he showed himself to be quite a rookie right i think in the beginning and he had to get you know his his way he did it recentered because what you would think to do was not how you would handle it and i just you and when you were talking about the suicide prevention hotline or texting made me think of that book yeah and you know if, if somebody's hired and, the, and the, the practice is large enough to have an hr person then, then I think the employee should go to the HR person and say, look, I'm new, I know it's, it may not be my place, but I couldn't sleep nights knowing that I didn't tell somebody. And you know, that's, that's a kind of an HR question. They're, they're used to handling those grenades in the lap. 
and uh, I think, you know, yeah, in, they in, may not do anything. depression, Frank, to bring us together reminds me a little bit of periodontal disease in that it has all different levels, right? You know, but you maybe can never get rid of it totally. So periodontal disease is gum to just to bring you guys up to speed, gum tissue and bone loss in your mouth. Periodontists treat it and you could have mild, you know, moderate or advanced cases of it. And I, you know, I, I have been talking a lot on the podcast, I've been a guest, is that, you know, the morale of the dentist, uh, you know, I, I encourage people to be nicer to their dentist for real, because I was just on a flight coming back and someone was asking me about dental nachos, the flight attendants. And I said, you know, it's for, you know, dentists, they really were. It was such, they go, what's dental nachos? And I said, uh, it's to help dentists. And they said, I'll tell my dentist. And I said, you know, dentist, and it's joked about a lot. And I always think it's, you know, you know. That was a, was a Seinfeld joke. He said, every joke has some meaning. He said, what about that eclair joke? But, you know, jokes do have meanings where it's like people really pick on dentists and it's almost, you know, that acceptable group to pick on. And, you know, how often does a team compliment the dentist on what they do? I mean, I, if you ask team members, they are probably, you know, kind of ashamedly say, I never do that. Even as patients, how often do you say something nice to your dentist? Because we have this kind of this weird you know, thing where it's okay to not like the dentist. I mean, you know, people say to me all the time when they sit down, I don't hate you, but I hate the dentist. I said, well, you only know me as your dentist. So <laughs> I think I, we don't hang out after the office. So, you know, I, I would love to just get the message to the, whoever listens to this that like, be nice to your dentist. Their, their morale matters uh, out there. Well, and I have one similar experience. I was working at a radio station. I had a dentist for a client. Um, they can only afford like 600 bucks a month for ads, fine. I said, but you know, if you can trade us in dental services, then you can get a bunch of ads, you know, dollar for dollar. And so I swung a deal with the Cumulus, the radio company. I got I got them to, to allow the dentist $25,000 in what they call trade over two years. So they got for 600 a month, they ended up getting uh, like 1600 a month. Anyway, long story short, one of the DJs had horrible teeth. His folks, uh, they had enough money for braces for one of the three children. He wasn't it. You know, the teeth were all messed up, so they got worse over time. People thought he was pissed because he never smiled. Um, He's going to have them all pulled. And I'm like, no. <laughs> 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 we need to save the ones we can save. Uh, sent him to this dentist. It was very good. Gave him a brand-new smile. He got a fiancé. He's now married. And did I get a thank you for his new life? No. <laughs> got to write <laughs> him and tell him you owe, he owes you one. He does, and I know how the dentist feels. I mean, I changed the kid's life. Um, but, yeah. We commiserate with you. That's powerful stuff. Yeah, exactly. Hey, hey so, Frank, um, we, uh, it's been great uh, chatting with you uh, about all this stuff. I, I think we'd like to leave a little more time than usual just to kind of talk about some resources yeah. and, and where can people find you and where can people uh, locate those resources for for help for themselves or for friends, coworkers, loved ones. Sure, uh, mine is relatively easy. It's the Suicide Prevention Speaker. No, I'm sorry, the Suicide. No, uh, hang on, the Mental Health Comedian dot com. The Mental Health Comedian dot com. Pretty much, you type in my name and the word suicide. Um, I've got a young guy, 23 years old, that's great SEO. I'll come up. Um, okay. And I would say number one a resource is NAMI, National Alliance on Mental Illness. Uh, there's one in every major city and every larger county. And like I said, everything they do is free. They've got peer counseling, family to family counseling. They can direct you to resources. You know, if you've got a child with, schizophrenia uh, you know a 12-week course on living with a child with schizophrenia 
they're amazing. Uh, the Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 800-273-8255, 800-273-8255. And for young people who like to more forthcoming in text, text the word CONNECT to 741-741. Uh, let me encourage your listeners, um, people think you call the Suicide Prevention Lifeline when you are you know, at the, on the cusp of. Um, they would prefer you call as you're getting close. So you know, it's not a you know it's not a panicked I'm gonna do it phone call. It's look I've been having these thoughts, I need help, I need to be directed somewhere to get help. Maybe you know what I mean. Do it a little farther upstream if you possibly can. And if you're with somebody who says they're suicidal and you think you know they got a gun to their head or something, if they got a gun to their head, call nine one one. But if you think they're seriously suicidal, they got a plan. Then, if they won't pick up the phone, you pick up the phone. Dial that number eight hundred two seven three eight two five five, and the volunteer will do their best to, to talk the phone into the hand of the person who is in crisis. Okay, thanks, That's Frank. Great. Yeah, Frank, thank you so much. This is a great uh, service for for our listeners and and anybody that uh, is feeling this way, you know, or you have loved ones or friends, you know, listen to what Frank is saying and and take the steps that that need to be taken. Really appreciate it, Frank. We need to do a tour, guys. We need to do a uh, everything you need to know that they didn't teach you in dental school. You guys go, I go. I handle the mental health portion. Look, here's what Perfect. they don't tell you. Here's, here's, the, here's the stress that you're going to be under here shortly and why. Get, get out the VW microbus and we'll, yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll, hit, we'll hit the road. We we'll get a bucket of cheese right. and regular nachos for me, and we're ready to go. So, <laughs> thanks. You guys are perfect for yeah, each yeah, other. Yeah, Paul. yeah, thanks. Thanks, Frank. Thanks, Frank. That was some cool stuff, Paul. Uh, strong, powerful. Yeah. It's, that's what I thought. Powerful too. Just so important. I mean, this is like like a lot of what we talk about, but this is at the top of the list of stuff that professionals have to be thinking about when they're starting their programs. And I just hope that the, whether it's the schools or programs just start to infuse some of this in a meaningful way yeah i just i see all this stuff kind of coming together and and the sort of the synergy between you know what we have with, with jamie amos uh, when he was talking about fulfillment and doing things that are uh, a higher purpose in your practice yeah. i mean because let's face it it's not about the money you know it's right. not like hey i was depressed until i made a lot of money and then all of a sudden i stopped being depressed you know it yeah. just doesn't work that way and you know, I think it was really interesting when Frank, you know, noted that, you know, it's kind of like all the non-dentist stuff, yeah, which is what totally. we talk about. It's the HR. It's what's going on with, uh, you know, uh, office, uh, you know, business stuff, all the other non-professional things that you have to deal with. The legal stuff, the lease, the real estate, yeah. the practice you're going to buy, the, the person that you have whatever dispute with. And that that's the stuff that gives you the most stress. And that's the stuff that, Paul, they don't teach you yeah. in dental school, and It's right? also because just like what, what you, the law field has really been a leader in showing, you know, you guys have so much sub-focus. And, you know, dentists, dentists have sub-focus, too. We have general dentists. We can troubleshoot our clinical problems. You know, if the crown doesn't have contact, you just get thicker floss. That's a joke that people who are listening will get, not you, Rob. So, I mean, you know, but, <laughs> I'm just looking uh, at yeah, you. Yeah. Where's but, uh, the yes, but, uh, Right. <laughs> someone will have laughed at it. But uh, we can troubleshoot our clinical things, crowns, implants, because we do it all the time, and we're very good at it. But how do you troubleshoot HR issues, two, two team members being pregnant at the same time? They're not even always – they're not always – 
uh, bad things that happen. They're just things that affect your business and they're unpredictable. You know, a lot of times if you, if you, if I could share an example, it'd be like if the weather changed dramatically, like, you know, from snow to, to being sunny to a tornado all in the same day outside of, you know, your clinical life. So I, I think that being able to navigate it with stuff like this and knowing that there's resources is just so important for solo professionals, whether it's a lawyer or a dentist. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I don't think, and again, Frank talked a lot about suicide, but you know, there's, you know, before suicide, there's depression too. Totally. And, and that's not good. And, you know, I think, uh, when, uh, two takeaways that I kind of, you know, I'm filing away. Uh, one is that, you know, you have to make time for yourself, yeah. you know, and you have to build that in, you have to schedule that into your day. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, we've started doing that here and I try to encourage my associates to do that, you know, schedule the time to go to the gym, uh, schedule the time to, to meditate, schedule the time to spend time with your own self-development because if you don't, it just never happens. Totally. You know, we're very much, very, you know, people that are professionals that are ticking it off the list and you, we do the deadline driven things. You do the things that you have to, you don't necessarily do the things that are best for you. And, and that's, and that's a mistake. And I think a lot of times we feel like you don't have enough time for that because you're busy or you're stressed, but that's why you have yeah. to have it, you know? And, and so often, you know, I'm sure you see this too, Paul, it's the day that you don't have time to go to the gym, but you go to the gym and guess what? You seem to have a lot more time yeah. in your day. You totally. Know? I, I think what, what I would like to point out though, as we're talking about is, you know, dental offices are like a family, uh, you know, and the dentist should share some of this stuff with the, with his team or her team just about the need for that type of thing. And, you know, I think if, if they have an open conversation about just introducing self-care, uh, taking time for yourself, at least the team will understand the why. So just like we're, we're family members, we just can't go off the grid for a day. We're dads mm -hmm. with our family and say, hey, it's just my time now. Right. So you have to sort of, you know, like Frank was saying when they said they don't want you to call the suicide hotline at the very end they, as you're going towards it. So you can't just pick up and say, you know, he made that funny joke about John, Johnny Carson. Hey, I'm off next week. If we did that in our family or our dental practices or our law practices, it'd be a problem. Yeah. So you got to really explain the why, like I say in my lectures, you know, talk to your team about it at meetings and say, I'm going to try to figure out a way for me to get monthly time to do X, Y, Z, even if it's an afternoon to work on things that are business related, not office related. Yeah. You know? And and guess what, folks? I mean, I think your staff and the people that surround you and have to quote unquote deal with you too yeah. on a regular basis, on it. a daily basis, they'd like to see you be happier. Yeah. You know, so you're kind of nobody's doing anybody any favors by being the martyr in the, in this situation. I like that. It's a new catchphrase. Happy, happy dentist, happy office. They always say happy wife, happy life. What do they say about the husband? Nothing. Who's that guy? Is he, is he hungry? No one cares. No, I'm just down, joking. Another t -shirt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, hey, so, what, so yeah. then the other thing too, though, that, you know, strikes me is, you know, it's all this other non dentist stuff that, that leads to the stress. That's the stuff that there is no training in dental school on. And you very much, Paul, are the champion of, you know, dealing and trying to, to uh, educate yourselves and educate people rather and dentists on these business issues and these other things totally. that are outside of just the clinic. I mean, you do a great job, obviously, with all the implant lectures that you do and the clinical stuff, too. But, you know, it's it's about these other things, too. And, and if these are the things that are adding all that stress and you're not trained to do that in dental school then you're going to have to find other resources for HR and how to manage people and deal with that because you can't just ignore it. You know? And, and, and it, that's it, why I'm so into the, you know, you, you know, you've helped me too with these, with these actual 
face-to-face live meetings like we're doing the dentist team boost and bringing people in because dentists have to get out and talk to each other face-to-face more just like how mom groups and mary's been part of them it's, it's such a great support network right. because they're going through the exact same thing mm-hmm. second child first child and they're getting together they can't do it remotely they can't do it through email and mm-hmm. that's why i encourage people to come and meet Dennis face-to-face. Sometimes they say, oh, so we can complain to each other. Yeah, that's part of it. Also, we can realize that you have the same problems that I have. I'm not so alone in this. And then also just make resources that you can call up when you have problems. You know, in in a lot of ways, it's, you know, who could you call when you have a dentisting problem in your office? And it's usually not with a clinical problem. It's a, it's a HR one. And uh, not everybody can call me. I I like fielding calls and emails. (laughs) I'm just one single solitary nacho eating man. So I like to make a whole group of people. And we've developed this group of resources for dentists. And that's why I'm just, I'm so passionate about telling people to show up live, whether it's to our events or events near them. Because that support network that you have is just so important. Yeah, it's great stuff. Keep up the good work, amigo. Thanks, Thanks man. Yeah. Thanks for listening to another great podcast with the Dental Amigos. And don't forget to tune in next time to have the dental business demystified. If you're looking for more information about today's podcast, you can find it on the dentalamigos.com. If you're looking for Paul, you can find Paul at drpaulgoodman.com. And if you're looking for Rob, you can find him at yourdentallawyer.com. This podcast has been sponsored by Orange Line Media Group, helping dentists and other professionals create content people love. Find out how we can help you take your business to the next level at www.orangelinemg.com. Till next time.